This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. What's up, all you people? (laughs) It's Toby. I'm taking over the intro today. And we have a great episode for you. But first... I just wanted to say that Emory is playing an awesome show in two weeks in Seattle. Tickets are going to sell out, so you better go right now. We're playing with Fall of Troy. It is going to be awesome. You can check us out at emorymusic.com for more information for that show. Also, uh, I got a cool little deal where I have been uh, having some conversations with folks. You can call me and get anything you want off your chest. Uh, let's talk. I am not a counselor. I am not a, a professional. I am nothing like that, but I'm a good listener. And I know a lot of people are going through a lot of shit and you might be in a tough spot. And if you want to talk to me for like 30 minutes, we'll hop her on the phone, get right to it. And I can listen. And a lot of times that's all you need. So if you want to find out more about that, uh, you can go to my Patreon page. It's patreon.com forward slash true man. Uh, if not, email me at uh, Christian at gmail. Uh, I'd love to talk. Let's set something up, and that would be cool. Also, um, Devin, Shelton, and I are going on tour. We're going to do our Songs and Stories run where we're going to play some acoustic shows, and that's going to be happening in November, so look more for that. But it, right now, it's looking like we're going to play Detroit, Cleveland, Pittsburgh, and Indianapolis. Those are going to sell tickets pretty fast, too, so you might want to get those as soon as I give you more information. But... Today's show is sponsored by KiwiCo. KiwiCo is a convenient and affordable way to encourage your children to be anything they want to be. Go to shopkiwico.com slash badchristian and get 20% off anything in the store. No exclusions. Also, today's show is brought to you by Linen. These are the best sheets I've ever slept on. I promise you, get 10% off the free, get 10% off and free shipping by using the promo code badchristian at brooklinen.com. All right, let's get to it. Oh, hell yeah, God showed up. I don't give a shit what I put in my body. You don't ever talk to me that way. <laughs> so if you've never done oral, then you're extra virgin. No, girl, it's my pledge. I, I showed my dad my penis when I was 25 years old. You don't get more honest than that. <laughs> nah, just kidding. Three, two, one, hit it! <laughs> wow. I can sing the highest and lowest of any singer in the emo world. They can all eat my butt. Highest and lowest? And best. And the most on pitch and the best tone and everything. Every other e- uh, singer in the emo world, you know, the genre, eat my butt. All right, let's and try I, it this way then. Give us the highest note you can sing, and then the next yeah. note after that, the lowest note you can sing. But please, nothing in between. Ah! Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's pretty low yeah. and pretty high, but what you're dead yeah. on with is perfect tone. 
Yeah, so Perfect I mean, I tone. think I think I proved that all of those uh, terrible younger white men should eat my butt. <laughs> right, There's a lot of them. Yep, and they, that's what they should do. I'll give no. you all an update from where I am. I'm living large at an executive suite in Moses Lake, Washington, and oh. a hotel with a pool and a casino, it looks nice, and a children's arcade and a brewery that gives you complimentary <laughs> tickets for all of those things. And uh, wow, it's, uh, you might think I've come into some money, but that is not the case. I decided to take oh, really? a last minute vacation. For the family, because I've learned you got to do those things. I got we got the opportunity to go camping at a highly, you know, at one of those campsites that you can't get at this really crazy place called Steamboat Rock. Now, yeah, I got the campsite because Chad Gardner and his wife had it reserved, but they couldn't stay for their whole reserved week, and so I said I would take it. I'll take the family up there, and we got up there, and I thought we'd, it was like me taking my family to the middle of the nowhere. And I was, you know, to survive. But turns out it was a real nice campsite. And it was all of Chad Gardner's extended family in one big giant group that we oh, just wow. joined for what felt like <laughs> church camp or a family reunion for two days that we were a part of. <laughs> that sounds kind of fun. It was. And when I got there at first, I was freaked out. I was like, oh, no, we just dropped into a freaking family reunion here. I thought we were right. going to be by ourselves. And it's just a, you know, just family, very like as wholesome as you could get. Yeah. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is insane. I feel so, you know, I, I you know, it felt crazy to be in, invading somebody else's family, but it right. totally worked out and the kids played and all that. And then we decompressed from a camping trip with a fancy hotel on the way home. Now, before you think, like I said, I've come into some money or be embezzling or something like that. Not the case. You just have yeah. to travel with your family after school starts back because there's no crowds there's no lines things are cheaper we got this hotel for like 110 dollars. you would lose your mind if you could get it on tour but the key is everybody else went back to school last week we went wednesday thursday friday georgia's in first grade met her first grade teacher and then said peace out going on vacation that's wow. the way to do it and you set the precedent early with those teachers in school first week of school yeah, important show don't them. think so don't think so right so that's well, that's uh, where we're at. So if my internet's bad or anything else, or the r- what room I'm in, that's that's where I am. That's it's really funny. Like my feelings are the exact opposite. After an entire long summer with my kids, the last thing I want to do is be with them more. That sounds like <laughs> that, that sounds like self inflicted punishment. Like yay, they go to school. Yes, that's a good thing. I'm not looking for. I don't. I, I don't need more alone time with them in the woods. That's yeah. not, that isn't how it works for me. Well, it's something fun about it because they you have to get them in. Like my kids, I feel like, need a large radius where they can mess around with stuff. <laughs> right. But if you keep them cooped up in the house or the small yard in the city, that you know, if you can spread out a little bit yeah. where they can go 600 yards away and still be visible right. on a sand dune, then we're okay, you know? Yeah, true. So, But uh, it's been great. But yeah. uh yeah. In the rest of the world though, uh maybe not so great. Okay. No, I got in, been to the hotel and had internet last night and uh saw the I mean, I don't know how to how to talk about it even, but I saw the news about Jared Wilson. So um yeah. very unprepared, very off the cuff here. Uh I don't know what I don't know how to react to it. I have some feelings and thoughts and as as I imagine everybody does, and it'd be easier not to talk about, but it just doesn't seem right. Yeah, we even before we started recording, we're like, how do you talk about this? And including uh, mental illness, depression, uh, our, you know, Joey Svensson, uh, 
how do we address this, especially when we are doing an episode where Nina Teichholz is coming on to talk about something that I think is super interesting, which is how in the world uh, did the, we all get tricked that fat is bad and, and, and that carbs are good and sugar is good. I mean, we're going to we have to keep moving on with our lives and with, uh, you know, uh, our podcasts, our jobs, just like everybody listening right now. And at the same time, you have to stop when things like this catch you off guard and say, well, what, what is happening here? Like we, we know Jared Wilson. We, he came on the show. Like we, yeah, we first were introduced to him. We first were introduced to him because I made fun of him and his cool clothes that he wore. And then he came on and we actually became friends. And, uh, it was, it, it was really, you know, I wouldn't say we were close or knew each other super well, but definitely had a, a some form of relationship and friendship. And so many people d- knew him and loved him and cared about him as a family too. I think he has two little boys, a young wife. And I just, I, I mean, I, when I read the news, I just completely caught off guard and just, just frustrated and scared and n- sad and uh, heartbroken. I mean, I have a list of all kinds of things, like all kinds of things that I'm feeling from hearing about a person who I think is, is it took their life because they they didn't have another option. I, I don't I don't even have I don't even want to say that. I don't even know. I, like I don't I don't know enough. It's just so hard to talk about. I feel empty. I like I said, the words I would say describe is really heartbroken, and and I it just caught me totally off guard. Like it took my breath away when I saw the the news. I was like, oh no, and I mean. We and I'm just gonna say, you know, a lot of people have been asking about Joey, and they know that Joey had a really bad bout with depression. And you know, you can listen to his podcast to talk about it. We decided um, months ago, I guess now or, or several weeks ago at least, to give Joey a break. And we have been uh, trying to figure out what what all of this means and. and what are the real dangers? What are the real recovery? What what does real recovery look like? How can we help? How can we stay away? I don't want to give away too much even right now because it's Joey's life and Joey's story and he can tell you. Um, and so all of this, and and I have my story. I have my hurts, my sadness, my doubts, the, the uh, things that I'm, I'm feeling too. And there's all kinds of things wrapped up with this. And I just, I mean, e- even so much as, I haven't seen anybody, Matt and I have talked about this some. I mean, the position of pastor might be dangerous for people. I mean, I, of course, there is depression and, and and clinical depression and a list of anxieties, worries, and fears and, and mental illnesses that really are detrimental to a lot of folks, and they're going through some of the worst times of their life. And I'm really concerned that sometimes uh, the role of pastor or podcaster or being in the spotlight might magnify those things might, and and leave people without other options of finding help or being able to be honest without judgment. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of times pastors are sought after because they have the right answers and they're the right people and the good guys. And when they are going through something that is tragically, horrifically awful inside of them, where do they turn? Where do they go? What's their way out? And I don't have any answers. I'm I'm just Toby here going, man, I'm just, I want to, uh, think about every possible way for this doesn't ever happen again. Like what, what are the things that are leading to this? How can we help people in the spotlight and all, all places like this? This isn't, I'm not, it's not only just pastors, mental illness yeah. oftentimes to me seems amplified sometimes when there is a platform or a spotlight or a stage, because 
then it just heightens all these maybe fears, worries, anxieties, mental issues that you might have. And, uh, and, and I'm not, I, I know I'm being general here, but I, I'm saying all this because I don't have any answers. I'm not claiming to know anything. I'm no doctor. I'm just some uh, fat, dumbass dude that is heartbroken and misses, you know, uh, his, his, his friend now. And also wants to know what 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 are the ways out of this? And and this I'm just stumbling over my words because this is raw and real, and I don't know what to actually say. Mm-hmm. I don't. And I, I mean, yeah, that's okay. Okay, my kids love KiwiCo, and the reason why is because it is hard to find hands-on projects for your kids because you know toys are just toys and you walk down the toy aisle and all that stuff but i wanted stuff that really helps my kids brains is that so crazy that's such a hard to ask but with kiwico's online store you can choose the perfect crate with projects that are engineered designed and kid tested it comes right to your door too by the way they'll come with everything you need for a creative project with your little creator isn't that cool thing about your kids as creators? I love that. Artists, creators, making stuff. That's that's the way we all need to be with our kids. KiwiCo creates super cool hands-on projects for kids to make learning about STEAM, which is science, technology, engineering, art, and math. It does it all for you. This is so cool. Designed by experts and tested by kids. No need to research or worry about gathering all the supplies. KiwiCo's online store lets you choose from a variety of project crates, electronics projects, super fun chemistry experiences, there's all kinds of stuff. Just go to the site. It is awesome. KiwiCo is a convenient, affordable way to encourage your children to be anything they want to be. So shop KiwiCo's store to find just the right box. And for you listeners right now, go to shopkiwico.com slash badchristian to get 20% off anything in the store. No exclusions. Every day counts when it comes to making a difference in your child's life, so don't miss out on this amazing opportunity. Again, go to shopkiwico.com forward slash badchristian and get 20% off anything in store, no exclusions. That's shopkiwico.com slash badchristian. I think what I think you say some interesting things there, and there's no doubt to me, I mean, to think about being a pastor is one thing, but spotlight in general is a thing. So I'm, I've been really thinking about it for about a week or two now. Um, more from the point of view of how does it, I can, I see things affecting other people and it's just easy for me to point that out or notice it or figure it out or come up with an explanation. It's not so easy for myself because a lot of the things I've been looking at and learning and trying to understand it sucks, but they apply to me. I never really thought that. I just didn't think it applied to me because yeah. I don't have any problems or something. Um, but that's not true. So I'm really in consideration now of what does spotlight do to anybody, including me, and in what ways does it affect my yeah. family and has changed me. And I've tried to say this before, and maybe this will make sense or maybe it won't. I've tried to tell you and Joey on the show before, look, these people that are our podcast listeners, and this will be true about people that are in your congregation or your whoever you had leadership over in whatever way, basically in in that kind of thing. It's like they don't care about you, but it's not because they don't wouldn't care about you. They don't know you. They know your role. 
They know yeah. the role that you do for them. So I would often say people don't care about me. Nobody's worried about me, as in these podcast listeners or people that I don't know in yeah. real life. They understand me, and I give them a lot of me, but it is only, it's only part. So they don't actually know me. They know an avatar of me. But that avatar is more dominant than the real me sometimes. And then people say, but you know, you turn into a character on the show, and do you lean that way? Yeah, I do. It probably makes me more of a know-it-all at home, and I probably rant to Bridget when I'm not. When she's like, "Why don't you just talk to me?" Right. Because my persona is something. It is. Right. I have a persona. I've developed it. I've leaned into it, and it has changed me. I don't know if that's good, but I do feel fundamentally stable and healthy, and all those things. And again, I don't think anybody's worried about me. I know the people out there love and care about and would support me as a person. That's not in question. Like they. Di- don't care, but that it's not, it's a, it's misaligned type of care. And so it's confusing. And, and I won't, I won't beat around the bush at all from what I've seen in music and being around people with notoriety. Um, it's just relatively harmful in gen, in a general way. It's just non, it's not good for the individuals typically. And the right. younger it happens and then the, the weaker or more unstable or more unhealthy somebody already is obviously it spins wilder and harder. And sometimes, sometimes, I'm not saying all the time, you have people attracted to positions where your image and yourself can be remade because of what's really inside they don't want to be. And that's hard to, that's harder to, to think about. That if you're not happy with who you are, it's easier to be somebody else. Right. If there's real deep problems, it's easier to not be you. It's easier to be a version of you that other people do like, want, need, validate. And that's really, that's not, it's almost not fair. It's almost yeah. just not fair is the way I feel about it. But I think that's kind of undeniable um, to whatever, to whatever degree. And it needs to be taken more seriously. Yes. And I, I think... I think the conversations have to start being had um, where there's real uh, deeper discussion, accountability, what's actually going on, and a permission to be honest and real in situations like this. It's not a coincidence that like actors oftentimes struggle with mental illness or people that, you know, are in positions of musicians power or, big. or musician. Yeah. I mean, our artists, a lot of people, because it, 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 the job comes with scrutiny. The job comes with oftentimes identity issues that you can't escape. You're one person in the spotlight. I mean, I, I've felt this before. Some, I mean, especially back early in the Emory days where I was, you know, I had lost a bunch of weight and now I'm the lead singer of Emory, a band that's blowing up. And I, and you and I have joked about it. I like, I lost my sense of humor, but I did. Cause mm-hmm. who, who was, who am I now? Wait, I used to be this fat kid that was really funny and people I, I could cut up and really make you laugh. And now all of a sudden I'm the serious emotional singer, the skinny, and right. I'm a different person now. And I, and I mean, there was part of me that was like, who, who am I? Which one's the better one? Right. And what's right? You know, I mean, that that's fair. And I, I, I want to extend it to, I think we are getting really caught up in, well, those people with depression or those people with anxiety. I think this is a real human issue and your neighbor to your left and your right we we got to talk about this because we all we all have brains. We all have some stuff that we're going through. 
We all, all have stuff that we are going through and yours might be less or yours might be more, but your neighbor, just like, and I'm going to get spiritual here. That's what Jesus said. You love your neighbor. Like, let's don't, let's just give everybody a little bit of breath and a little bit of life and, you know, just to be able to be themselves for a minute and it not be their identity and they can escape some of that stuff. Because if you don't, then it just, you just have to hide it. And I know, Jerry, what, what, especially what even with Jerry, well, well, Jer- I, I don't understand. I'm saying that I believe that uh, a lot of times our identity that we show people causes us to hide anything, some of the things that are very real and make them worse. Mm-hmm. So the, the, you have, I, I mean, th- think about, uh, I mean, I can even, gosh, I hate doing, doing it this way, but like, that's what I'm even saying. Like with my life, uh, it, with the band, or there are certain things where I thought, when I, oh, when I get married, I won't look at porn anymore. Right. And this is, mm-hmm. and then I hid it from my wife, hid it from you guys in the band, didn't tell anybody to where it actually became worse and a hidden thing that made me feel so guilty and shameful and all of this stuff. Instead of if I could say, Hey, pornography isn't my identity. It's just, it's this thing. And it's trying to get more of my identity. I, I just want to tell y'all, I think I could have been more free about that and my sexuality and all of those things. Mm-hmm. Like I could have, I could have way better conversations where I would have understood my own sexuality others' sexuality, and who they are. Now, take somebody like Jared Wilson, who was trying to talk about mental health, was talking and help, trying to help people, but still felt somewhat trapped. And, and I, once again, I do not want to say I can speak for him or his family or anything. I, I mean, I don't know him well enough or his family well enough, and we are just speculating here, and we're just talking from a stance. I hope people hear this. I'm heartbroken. I'm really caught off guard by this. We all were, and I feel devastated and pretty empty. And we have our friend Joey Svensson, one of my all-time best friends, who is who has and is and maybe even in the future will go through some really tough mental issues because he has mental illness. And so I want to talk about this in a real way where there isn't shame, there isn't immediate, oh, man, another – like, I, I mean, I almost feel – it makes me almost feel more empty when I just see people. Well, it, you know, it used to be – uh if you committed suicide, you went to hell. And now I say, well, you know, now I just see people quick to say, well, he's in Jesus's arms now. Like, it's like, wait a minute, let's just stay here in this horrible pain for a minute. Let's live in this loss and misery for a moment and really feel it instead of calling it just an issue or just depression or just anxiety or just suicide. This is a human being that is no longer here and we don't really know why. And so I'm, yeah. And I have a litany of emotions about it and I don't want to, I just want to, feel all this for a minute and sift through what's real and what's happened. Mm-hmm. And then I, I, I might even be able to be in, more informed in the future and we'll find out more information, but let's don't just run from suicide or, or, or I, that's why I don't want to just say it's uh, the role of pastor is bad. That's not why I, I just don't say, Oh, depression, it kill. I, I don't want to say all these things. Well, all I really want to say is feel really l- a lot of loss right now. And it, it affected me more than I thought it would. And I believe a lot of that is because uh, of what has happened with Joey and it even feels more tender and sensitive and scary for me right now. And there's a lot more, but, and I know people are asking about Joey and all that stuff, but that, I just, it's okay to just stop and live in the pain for a minute and figure out what it is and not run forward or diagnose it or say what it is. And, and I, I'm, or, fi- or fix it and say right, it's better. Right. I'm so and, guilty and, of this, and, but, yeah. but also that's the next thing too, is I don't want to just, that, that's the other thing I've seen online. Hey, your pastor, this is the five reasons why their job is hard. Wait a minute. Hold on. Let's just, let's talk about this situation. Stay here in the hurt and the pain. And then we can kind of 
see what's going on. But I, I feel I feel ignorant and stupid and uh, uh, callous that I'm even talking about this. I don't know. I, I'm not trying to make a dollar off this. I'm not trying to say, say anything. I, I don't even have real words except for this feels like a huge loss. And I don't when when is it's the same way as I feel after, um, you know, mass shootings and stuff like that. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. People are dead and we're going to move on from this. But wait a minute. If we could just really feel it for a little bit, maybe we could really feel it for a little bit. Like this is really bad. It's really, really bad. And that is the way I feel. That's the, the simplest way I can say is this is horrible. I am heartbroken, emotional, very sad, and I have zero answers. And the best thing I can think to do is stay in this so I feel it, so it's real. And it's not just pushed away or answered or said, Here, here's five steps to improve your pastor's life. No. Like, let's, let's, let's think about everything. There is depression. There's the being in the spotlight. There is the hearing uh, and, and never-ending position that a pastor or being in the spotlight puts you in. There's always the next person that needs your help. There's always the next issue. There's always these things that are ahead of you that might be mounting up and causing even more things. Like it's okay to talk to, it it, it should be okay to talk about these things in a way. And we've said this before, it isn't shameful. It, It isn't guilt. No, I do not think at all these people that are going through these really tough times, mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, are faking it and just trying to, you know, that that we're we're moving past that. Now the the real thing is, what do we feel? What can we stay here for a minute? I, this this can't just be oh another pastor committed suicide because we don't know what I don't I don't know what's next. I mean it it it, it could be anything right. is next, and which is really scary. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I hear you having a lot of emotions and confused ones and that kind of stuff. And I, and I hear you saying that one's like sad and empty, but to be sure, there's more than that. And so oh, I want to yes. validate those. Uh, uh, this is one thing I don't think happens. Something's screwed up in, in culture. I don't know what it is. And something around the suicide thing is really screwed up in the way that we look at it. It just clearly is. Yeah. It seems like mass shootings. It seems like that trend line is going to grow. It seems like one causes another. And... You know, I, there's also the fact that you can't talk about it, which we're trying to do now with and sound stupid because everything's a pitfall. You can't really speak right. about it. And and that's that's got to be part of the problem. I got right. a bunch of text messages last night from different people expressing the other emotions that, that, that they have that nobody will talk about publicly. Right. Yeah. And you know what they are. I mean, I can say them. I'm not even scared of it, but I'm just saying. No, you I'm know. not scared of it too. I'm angry and mad, mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. and yes, those all the thoughts are yeah. are in my head too. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah, the, and and so people really have those thoughts, and for, for I I feel thankful that somebody could share them with me, and I could share them with back. That's going to be more of a private thing, I guess. Um, but it, it felt like just needing to vent almost. But the yeah. fact that you can't say it's a really crazy of a trap. And, and scary issue. Nobody wants to blame anybody, but also celebrating. We don't want to do that. I mean, right. there's just something screwed up here that we're not, um, you know, that we yeah. don't that we don't quite have figured out, and we're going to have to just spend more time 
to think about it, but I just want to say, and we'll move on here, but I just want everybody to be open-minded uh, and to not invalidate anybody. If anybody else does express emotions different than the standard ones, well, those aren't necessarily working in my view. So yeah. make some room for other people to express their emotions and what they feel and how they feel it and maybe listen to them. Just listen to right. that. And, and that voice is probably inside of you. Maybe listen to that voice for a little bit too. Yeah, the, those, the, the, the uh, yeah, last thing on this. Let people be able to express all the full gamut of emotions. When we're talking about suicide, when we're talking about depression, let them express the full gamut because if somebody is mad or angry that somebody committed suicide, find out why. What, is, what are their reasons for that? It's not just to belittle somebody that, who took their life. They are feeling something. Now, could they be wrong about that anger? Is that anger misplaced? Yes, of course, that could be a, an option there or a reason there. They could, but don't, the same way as, Listen to people who have depression. Listen to people that are upset and don't understand what's going on and feel loss. You, ha you have to, the gamut of emotions you can feel in these situations is so vast that if we just move on and just say, well, that person's just mad and doesn't understand, or that person's too Christian and says now they're in hell or whatever, all of these people are trying to figure out a way to understand this, and we can help these people, which will help overall. All right, so we are going to shift gears here. This is a very serious topic, and we almost feel foolish talking about it so uh, off the cuff, I guess. But it'd just be more yeah. foolish to not talk. It'd right. be stupid yeah. and to so, not react. We, to yeah, it and so and this is all in real time. And and we're sorry if anything comes off uh, across. Not definitely not trying to be offensive or use this as a, a platform or anything. We literally don't have any answers. So we'll put it this way. We'll have to talk in the same yeah. way that you're calling for. We will have to talk about this later yes. also. Yes. With, you know, yes. when it's not it, it, raw like yeah. this, but it needs, this is like when you have a fight with your wife, you're like, oh, I don't right. want to talk about it. Okay. But we're going to talk about it later. You know, exactly that. Exactly that. If you haven't got your Brook linen sheets yet, what is the deal? I'm telling you, they're my favorite sheets I've ever slept on, my favorite comforter I've ever gotten, my favorite pillowcases I've ever gotten. I promise you, Brooklinen is the best, and I'll even reveal a little bit more. I didn't know that I didn't know. <laughs> Before Brooklinen, I bought the cheap stuff. I got the stuff that was the just the cheapest. I didn't even think about it. Or one time I was like, I'm going to get that 100 billion thread count sheet. And it just wasn't even that good. And I wasted my money. But with Brooklinen, seriously, it is the best way to sleep in your bed. I just love it. Seriously, you spend about a third of your life in the sheets. Don't you want them to be insanely comfortable? And now that, you know, you've been, uh, that warm weather, you kind of get changing and you want that nice duvet or whatever. Oh my gosh. I'm telling you, Brooklinen is the way to go. And check out their newest linen, connect, uh, linen collection with a beautiful assortment of colors. Brooklinen's got 35,000 plus five-star reviews. I mean, it just can't get more easy than this, guys. They are loved by so many people. More than any other online betting company. Can you believe that? More than anybody, they have 35,000 plus five stars. So it was, it was founded early on in 2014 by husband and wife Vicky and Rich Fulp, who wanted to find beautiful home essentials and, that didn't cost an arm and a leg. And their mission was to make you comfortable, and they succeeded, folks. I'm telling you, it's in their name. So you know that it's good. Brooke Lennon 
Men's newest linen collection is amazing. I couldn't recommend their products more, and I'm being serious. For graduates, uh, newlyweds, friends or family, or just treat yourself. Don't you want a great night? Just, you know how fun it is when you slide into those sheets and it feels so good? Oh, my God. Get 10% off and free shipping when you use promo code BADCHRISTIAN at brooklinen.com. Brooklinen is so confident in their product that all their sheets, comforters, and towels come with a lifetime warranty. The only way to get 10% off and free shipping is to use promo code BADCHRISTIAN at brooklinen.com. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com, promo code BADCHRISTIAN. Brooklinen, these are the best sheets ever. Nina, thank you for joining us. Hey. Okay, Nina, so we're glad to have you on the show today. I'll give you just a quick background about us and uh, our eating and diets and you know how we've been connected to or aware of, of eating fat and, and carbs and sugar and the dietary guidelines and stuff like that. Toby and I are in a rock band that we started in 2001, and at that time, we wore baggy clothes and were overweight, and we made good music and didn't think it mattered how you looked. And then randomly, my mom sent us this thing from Dr. Atkins and showed us how to make a baked chicken and eat it only that way with nothing else on it and said, don't eat any carbs. We thought it was hilarious. And we tried it and we lost weight. We started to look good. Our band got signed and took off. And we've been pretty skinny ever since and kind of paying attention to the low carb movement. (laughs) That's so cool. Back, back, so yeah. we've been following since about that time period, um, and it's been this biz- really, really bizarre thing that we've observed, which is just the slow acceptance of it, um, something that we kind of knew to be true, that there was something fundamentally wrong there or felt good and it worked good, and then it was nothing but guilt. Like for the, There's no data. Nobody was talking about it. You just felt guilty about eating bacon and, and butter, and, and so that's the thing we've been going through, and slowly, 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 more and more evidence comes out and more and more other stuff, and people are starting to look at fat and carbs um, really, really differently now. So when was when did you start? How many years ago was that? So two thousand and two or three? Yeah, it was about two thousand and two, and it was this goofball thing that everybody said was super dangerous. It was called the Atkins diet. Right. You know, that's what it was. That's when we found out, and I, I was like, well, nothing else seems to be working, but it seems so counterintuitive because every single thing, the food pyramid, everything said fat, bad. That's the fat is the stuff that's around your stomach. You want more of that? Yeah. Well, you have you have sort of you've rode. I mean. It's amazing you're such early adapters because um, not that many people. You must have bought the the new Atkins book, um, or your mom did, I guess. Yeah. Um, and but you've been living through a paradigm shift that we've been going through uh, that over the last really twenty years now, and it's slow, but it's just steadily happening where we realize we got it wrong, you know, demonizing fat, telling people to not, not to eat fat, that fat makes you fat, um, fat in the food becomes the fat on your hips that all of that turns out not to be true. Um, mm. so, and that's, and you're right. I mean, there's been this slow growth of awareness of science of data. Um, you know, there's, it's still, it's still a battle out there. I think a lot of people, distrust it and um there's a lot of active effort to make people fear it yeah <laughs> that i see in the scientific community but um but you know the really the results speak for themselves like here you are you're 
you're feeling healthy, you probably have a lot more energy that you did than you did when you were carrying around a lot of extra weight. I mean, people see you and people are convinced by you can't like you can't deny it. There you right. are. Right. Well, that's what yeah, that, the health yeah. is different. That's one of the reasons you feel a lot different. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on because you wrote you wrote a book called The Big Fat Surprise. And <laughs> I love that title. But uh I wanted to have you on because I okay, so you're right. I, we're, we're learning more and more about the data and, and, you know, you can, you can really find, maybe you can find something to prove your point, no matter what side you lie on. But I just have seen personally and through lots of different ways, how fat works, but I wanted to go all the way back your book. I mean, you did so much research and there's just so, I mean, it's, it's really awesome. Uh, I highly recommend it to all of our listeners, but, um, I wanted to go back before, uh, and, so there, there's, there's, uh, two things that I want to get into one, uh, before the idea that, you know, uh, low fat diet worked and then the why low fat diet started taking off. But before the low fat diet fad or the idea that eating low fat and sugar was, was okay, but, but fat was bad. Did people just always eat fat? Like what did people eat, you know, a hundred or 200 years ago or something before like low fat became the thing to do? Well, we don't really have data on how much fat people ate. I can tell you that before the obesity epidemic in 1965, uh, according to the best available government data, which is not that great, but it's what we have. We ate, um, uh, we like basically all of America was on what we would now call a lowish carb diet. Um, we all ate fewer than 40% of calories, um, uh, as carbohydrates. Um, and so, and, and therefore we ate more fat. Um, you know, I think that if you want to go back, people have tried to study what paleolithic man and women eat. Um, and there's a lot of debate over that data. One of the things that I did in my book, which was, um, fun and enjoyable was to go back and just, you know, you just look at the texts of history, even if you don't have data, you have, you know, first of all, there was no low fat milk or low fat anything. You don't, you know, low fat milk doesn't come from a cow. You has to go. So people ate, right. people drank regular milk and, and ate regular meat. Um, there, you know, pork had not been bred to be lean. It was, and if you go back and read the histories of the time, people, the fat is always what is prized in the food. I mean, there's a story about, um, you know, trappers and, and, and people who were explorers and, 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 uh, adventurers, um, their stories are always about, you know, we went out to hunt for game, but it was winter and the, 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 the animals were too lean to eat. Um, there wasn't enough fat on them. The, the Eskimos or the, the Inuit, um, up in, in, uh, in Alaska would say that there was, you know, they would call it, when, when they didn't have fatty meat, they called it rabbit starvation when they would have to eat lean meat without enough fat on it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I found a story about a little tribe in um, Africa who, uh, who learned how to smell when turtles in their leg, they could tell from the smell of the turtle if it had enough fat on it to eat because the ones that were lean were not considered tasty. And there was just this understanding that the fat is, it is, you know, it was what gave it flavor and, and what made it tasty, but it's, it's what humans crave. I mean, our taste yeah. buds are designed to like the, mainly on the whole, to like the things that we, um, that we crave. 
So, I mean, there's so many, many, many stories of the healthy Maasai warriors, you know, who look like gods all eating a diet of 70, 80% fat and um, without any traces of disease and who are actually studied and 600 of them given electrocardiograms by a professor, um, a university professor from the United States and none of them having any traces of heart attacks. So there's just a wealth of data, some of it scientific, some of it not scientific, where you understand that humans used to crave and eat fat. There's an intuitive part of that, really, that that I think is worth talking about. And again, I think it has something to do, maybe it's almost something to do with people, like I said, we're in a band and do punk rock. So it's almost an attitude of being willing to try something or or discard the authoritative or organizational knowledge. But it's, to me, and Toby will attest to this, I... My all I ever talk about when I'm looking for food or buying food is what has the most is caloric density. I'm always looking for the thing that has high caloric density that is good quality and has the macronutrients that I'm looking for. And so to me, high calories good if it's the things that I want, like meat. And I think that's intuitively you can know that if you just look at when there's a barbecue or something, the ribs will always be gone and the potato salad will always be sitting there. That's what humans automatically do if they don't deny it. And then you say, but sugar and stuff is bad for you or Skittles are bad for you, but you crave them, don't you? And I say, yeah, but they don't grow on trees or you can't farm them and hunt for Skittles. You know, that's just, it's the fat is the real thing that you crave because it's calorically dense that you're designed to seek. Right. Well, yes, I think you put it very well. And I think I'm glad that you pointed out the, the fact that we also crave sugar and, um, and, and so our bodies do sort of betray us by our sugar cravings. But, you know, sugar, as you said, you know, sugar was not nearly so available as it is now. Occasionally you would get a, you know, a hive of honey or in season there would be fruit that was much less sweet uh, and much smaller than it is today. Fruit has been bred to be beyond recognition uh, and much, much sweeter sugar industry didn't even come into being until the 18th century. So, I mean, we, we didn't, we didn't, our, our bodies did not evolve around the amount of sugar that we have now. I mean, what it was when you had it was this nice quick fix of fuel, but you didn't have it very often. And, you know, you certainly didn't have it for, you didn't have Cocoa Krispies for breakfast and then like (laughs) your Mars bar for lunch. And, you know, that just was not the human diet. So, you know, I think um, I like your point about seeking food with uh, more calories. One of the ways that I think about it is that seeking food that is nutritionally dense. Right, nutritionally dense. Nutrients that you need. It's a way of thinking that is people don't, we haven't been taught that, but it really is, it is a good way to think about how you want to go about eating. Um, Like if you have um, whole grain toast, uh, in the, in the morning, um, you're getting almost no nutrients. If you eat an egg, you're getting a ton of nutrients. You're getting choline, lutein, essential for your eye and brain development and health. You're getting all kinds of vitamins. I mean, we haven't been taught this. Um, and a, a lot of our food is artificially fortified, um, and enriched with, with vitamins, but you don't absorb them as well as you do when they come from the natural foods. So going out and eating a piece of meat, a piece of red meat is incredibly nutritionally nutritious. It's one of the most nutritious foods on the planet. Liver, liver is probably the most nutritious. But 
you know, white meat is relatively nutri nutrient poor. But we've been taught, just focus on the fat. Eat the white meat because it's lower in fat, ignore the red meat. Um, so, but eating for nutrient density is also what will make you feel full and satiated so you don't uh, overeat, um, which is mm -hmm. kind of a tautological con concept. But, I mean, you overeat anything, you know, you fat and protein are what are satiating and they really fill you up and you so you can't overeat on them um so you're exa you're exactly right like it's it's funny so i've been doing uh, i went extremely low carb i guess you know under under 20 carbs a day for about two and a half months and then in the last month i've allowed myself you know uh, maybe an ice cream here or there or whatever and it is so hilarious to me that as soon as i'm done with the sweet I could definitely eat another one. <laughs> like I had cake. I, yeah, you just I had started, cake and ice yeah. cream. My favorite is is uh, chocolate, cheap chocolate icing and yellow cake. You know, uh, Duncan Hines or whatever. And a little bit of ice cream the other night. And I was like, I desperately want another piece of this cake and ice cream. And I never feel that way. The meal that I had before that though was uh, st uh, like a steak salad, and it felt so. Uh, valuable to me like i was eating a great piece of expensive meat and this salad that was prepared really well and it i was completely full couldn't finish my small plate because i felt so full and satiated like you said it's it's, it's crazy the difference of carbs or sugar for me that there, it, i could eat it all day there's there's no stopping with me well you know there are reasons for that scientifically and actually there's you know there was an interesting study where they they looked at this issue of how satiating meat and and fat were and they would they put in front of subjects stacks of uh pork chops and they said eat you must eat all of these and <laughs> people just couldn't eat them you know they just you just like you know i'm full i am so full and it's because you've given your body i think for one of the reasons is you've given your body the nutrients it needs protein and fat are satiating whereas when you eat carbohydrates, it's kind of two things happen or several things. One is sugar really is addicting. Okay. So it is like, it is like any drug addicting, um, and coming off of it is really hard Two, carbohydrates. Unlike fat and protein, carbohydrates spikes your blood sugar, your blood sugar goes up and then it crashes back down. When you're in that cycle of up here and then crashing back, when you're crashing, what you want is another quick fix. So you're on this jag constantly needing to feed yourself in, when you're at that low blood sugar, whereas your blood sugar on fat and protein is totally flat and solid. And yeah. even that's why people also feel sort of more even healed, even their, their moods kind of even out um, because they're not having this, you know, this jagged blood sugar going on. So let's talk Let's talk about how the it, let's talk about more about how it got this yeah. way because and what to do about it because what this position I'm in is I feel like I know something and everybody and I try to tell people and they think I am an idiot. Oh yeah. I mean an idiot goofball that always does stupid stuff and here's his latest thing <laughs> trying to get me to eat fat. That's how people receive me and I maybe I understand why they receive me that way. But I feel like I'm probably trying to help them here. And all the friends I have that are like uh, my kids' friends that are our peers at school and we hang out with and stuff like that. And they, they were tell they, they just think you be disciplined. You work out, you eat chicken breast and low fat and you don't touch red meat. And it's just so traditional. I'm, I don't, I, 
in my circles, it's less that way. And the more I get into the mainstream, like I said, public school, my kids and everything out there from my little culture, I notice how pervasive it is that, that people have that traditional mindset. And then if I talk to my doctor, it sounds like the same thing. And I, it's just so confusing how it got that way. And these people are telling me how they their kids love eggs. I said, oh, well, that's really good. She, she said, we throw away the, the yolks. <laughs> We're all the nutrients. <laughs> right. So she said she said they make 12 they, she makes a dozen eggs every single day and throws away 12 egg yolks and they just love them. <laughs> and I'm losing my mind. I can't even hear I don't even know what to do say when somebody says something like that with a straight face. I, it make, drives me so crazy. Right. And they think again you're fringe and I'm fringe and all that how did it get to such a gulf between us sounding like nutty people and the truth? Um well uh, you know, we've been living with this idea of a low fat diet, lean everything, and fat is bad for decades. And it is, um, you know, just to give people a little history, it started really in the 1950s. There was, and it was first really about heart disease. Heart disease was rising from pretty much out of nowhere in the early 1900s to become the nation's number one killer. And it, you know, affect our president. President Eisenhower had a heart attack, was out of the Oval Office for 10 days. And the theory, there, were, there was this vacuum. Nobody knew it was causing heart disease. So into that vacuum stepped um, a scientist named Ansel Keys and his idea that it was saturated fat and cholesterol that were causing heart disease. You eat saturated fat and cholesterol, and they would clog your arteries and give you a heart attack. And that was called the diet heart hypothesis. Um, and he turns out to be, you know, easily the most influential nutrition scientist that ever uh, that that the world has ever seen and he was um, he was able to get himself on the nutrition committee of the American Heart Association such that in 1961 that's really when it all began the American Heart Association issued the world's first ever advice telling people to cut back on saturated fat and cholesterol in order to uh, avoid heart disease so this was don't eat the egg yolks the beginning the very beginning no egg yolks no shellfish don't eat, uh, you know, red meat because it's a little bit higher in saturated fats. Don't have regular dairy. So the whole, this was the beginning of it. 1960, when people started to change their eating habits. And then there was a really big, significant shift, I would say, even more in 1980. That's when the federal government gets in, adopts the whole platform of the American Heart Association. And that becomes our nation's uh nutrition policy. So for the whole country, all of a sudden called the U S dietary guidelines. And, you know, all of a sudden, so all cattle are bred to be leaner, all pork are bred to be leaner. The government asks the food companies to make, uh, they said, you know, we need, we need 3000 more low, low fat products on the shelf. Low fat foods didn't even really exist. Um, and so bringing the federal government into it, just, you know, school lunch programs, K through 12 education, and critically, it started to be just those guidelines started to be downloaded to all doc mm -hmm. doctors, nutritionists, dietitians, nurses, everybody, so that when you go into your doctor's office, and this is true today, you know, they, they're just given the guidelines and said, this is the gold standard, teach them. So all healthcare delivers on the front lines are delivering the guidelines. So they're so much more influence. You think like, I don't know what the guidelines are. Uh, you don't go to the to government's website to learn how to eat, but they reach you. They reach you through mm -hmm. your healthcare practitioner, through your school lunches, feeding programs for the elderly, hospital food, 
military rations, I mean, they reach each and every American. So um, they're super important and they, they've changed our food supply. And I'll tell you that obesity in America, so the guidelines started in 1980, obesity in America was relatively low. 1980, sharp turn upwards. And, you know, it's just taken off ever since along with type 2 diabetes, which now affects 30 million Americans and costs um, uh, about 15% of all of our discretionary spending by our, by our government. My so, goodness. so that's what makes this, it's, it's, it's a dogma that has, it's a hypothesis that, that started by Ansel Keys. They tested it. They could never show it to be true. In other words, they actually had rigorous clinical trials where they tested his hypothesis. They could never show it could be true. They never showed it that this diet was actually going to work to prevent heart disease, that avoiding fat could do anything for your health. But those trials, and this is one of the things that I found out in the course of my research, those really important clinical trials, which disproved our food policy, those trials were basically just ignored and never considered by any of the expert committees that are setting our government's policy. I heard you talk about that on another podcast, and you said that they basically... (laughs) If you wouldn't mind, I'm going to speculate on why this whole thing took off like with wildfire. You can correct me. But what you said about that was that they just knew that it caused it. So the studies had to just be wrong. That faith language of yeah. belief is what is where I think the thing gets off the rail there. Like well, it's I fear. Think it's interesting that you use that analogy because, um, you know, it did become this hypothesis. Ansel Keys' hypothesis did become accepted by everyone and it became almost a matter of faith to them. You know, everybody believed in it. Everybody, everybody so believed it to be true. And then of course, bunch, you know, industry is, gets behind it and everybody becomes invested in it in a certain way. Institutions pledge their trust, you know, in this and they can't, nobody can back down or back out of it. Um, so it's, um, you know, scientists are, are you know, their they're whole careers, I mean, we've had this for three generations of careers, they're dependent upon this being right. So when the data came along saying, just absolutely not confirming it, they, those trials were, I mean, I'm talking, you know, taxpayer funded, NIH funded, uh, multi-center, very rigorous trials where they tested the diet and they just could not show that it worked to prevent disease of any kind, not cancer, not heart disease, not preventing type 2 diabetes, not preventing obesity. And, you know, look at the health of our nation now. So 60% of the public has one or more diet-related disease, like diabetes, heart disease, uh, obesity. And so why, you know, so what happened is um, people started to, you know, there were some people out there with journalists and scientists. And there's a journalist named Gary Taubes who really, I think, it was one of the most formative ones in this. And, and then my book came along. But, you know, there's a lot of scientists really started to ask, did we just get it wrong? <laughs> you know, this is clearly not working. Is it possible there's another theory out there about how to reverse chronic disease? And that's where you saw... Um, some of the scientists who wrote the new Atkins book that I think landed in your hands. Um, and there's been now like a hundred clinical trials on low carb, you know, to show pretty amazing results. It, it can reverse diabetes or reverse the diagnosis of diabetes or put it into remission or however you want to put, you know, say that. 
The reason this all gets so interesting to me is there's the technical part and the diet part, but really now where we're at is we're brushing up against what this podcast is kind of all about, and that's systems and institutions and faith and fear and image control and stuff like that. We've come out of the church world and stuff like that where things are scary, and then people want to blame a thing, an external thing that's scary. And in this case, it seems like, well, heart disease. We have our important men are dying, and then somebody floats a hypothesis. It's a demon. It's it's the immigrants. It's the whatever whatever it is. It's the bad thing. It's the drugs. And in this case, somebody with authority that said they knew was wearing a lab coat in a commercial said, it's cholesterol. I mean, it's like a two-year-old, a six-year-old would figure it out. It's like, well, fat is yucky. It could clog your arteries like plumbing, maybe. And then everybody goes, yes. And then it's just nobody wants to hear anything different after that because something is wrong with people where they like to be controlled and they like to be made to feel guilty about things that are good. Yeah, like they need an enemy. It seems like that's for bad people. It's for Ron Swanson to eat red meat as a caricature and drink whiskey and smoke cigars. Right. And that's who. We, and we want those people to not have so much enjoyment. If they would just eat the boring cardboard chicken breast surely they'd be healthier and we need them to suffer and we know we're all bad and when the authorities tell us we're bad we listen and we beat ourselves up and it's just gonna keep on going and nobody and that's wants what to they hear. even sound like no you can have the food that's great <laughs> that's what they sound like to me <laughs> well you know you're i'm gonna riff a little bit on that theme that you bring up because i think it'll be interesting to your audience which is that Especially in the church, um, and I think most prominently in the Seventh-day Adventist church, who's very active in the space. Um, but, you know, going back to like St. Augustine, there's this idea that you should not eat red meat because uh, red meat was always the food of, of carnality, of yeah, strength, decadent of masculinity. Yeah. So, I mean, just, just, I mean, this is just an objective fact. Like, you know, the meat was always given to the warrior class. Uh, uh, in, 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 like, in these Maasai warriors that were studied by the uh, University of Vanderbilt professor. The, the meat and the best choices of meat went to the warriors because it was the meat that made them strong. And there is so much written about how during Lent, that Lent is a, is a, is a time of weakening, the, 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 the frailness of the body. When, and, but, but, but in fact, it, were, it was desired to give up meat in order to be more spiritual, to be closer to God, um, mm-hmm. so that you would leave your physical body and you would have a spiritual life. And that has always been, you know, that's always, as I said, from St. Augustine on, there was always a desire uh, well, even going back to the ancient Greeks, I think I, I, I'm going to get the name wrong, but one of the you know famous ancient Greek philosophers um, was a vegetarian. By the way, I was a vegetarian for like 25 years. And 25? <laughs> yeah, wow. Not because I was trying. No, you know, you give up red meat, you just think it's healthier. Um, right. But, uh, and I was always anemic and depressed and I, you know, wasn't, I always had, um, you know, it was far less healthier. But there is this religious idea that you need to not inhabit your body in a way, you know, because that kind of power and strength, which is, uh, you know, <laughs> you know, making war, making love. I mean, all of mm-hmm. those scary desires and the, the the part of humanity that has to be tamed and contained yes. right. is fed by this food, right? right. Um so that's why in this, like in the Seventh Day Adventist Church, it's they're they're 
they mainly do medical evangelism because they believe their version of the second coming is you cannot get back to what they call the Garden of Eden until everybody stops eating. Yes. There are too many people in this world that gain power and status by limiting and controlling others in real just casual ways, but it's a contagious part of humanity, it seems, because it happens it just kind of repeats, and this is just one of those things. But this one's really dangerous in a way because, on the other hand, I'm not one for conspiracy theories, and this one has such a big um, enough energy around it, and then it only seems like fringe people are talking about it. That I'm also afraid people think of it like it's a, a conspiracy. Like you said, oh, big sugar, and the, that you know, it sounds like we're concocting a conspiracy theory here. Well, I mean, first of all, there are now there are hundreds of doctors, there are, you know, a multitude of PhDs um, in various institutions, including Harvard and Stanford, who are studying the low-carb diet and have studied, published on this diet. It is, it is, it's being talked about at high-level conferences. It's, uh, it is, it really has come out of, the American Diabetes Association, their latest guidelines say that low-carb is safe and effective for their population, which is 30 million Americans. So I think it is no longer a fringe idea. It is not a fad. It is supported by, uh, as I said, you know, more than 100 controlled clinical trials. That's the rigorous kind of evidence. So it's, it's not a fringe concept anymore. Um, and I think that uh, it's just that right now there's were, I mean, you know, when I started off my book, I, my father's a scientist, and I thought, you know, I love science, and I thought it was this calm unfolding of hypothesis and counter-hypothesis and, you know, careful argument, the way that we'd had our dining room table when I was growing up. And what I realized is pretty much the whole story is about politics. Um, and what we're, this, the period we're in now is a period of struggle over this new paradigm that is coming up, supported by a lot of science, working for a lot of people, and the old paradigm pushing back hard. Um, and so, and, you know, the old paradigm, because it's been institutionalized for 50, 60, 70 years, they have a lot of, uh, what they have is money and power and, and, and dominance. Um, and they have enjoyed that for decades. What the new paradigm has for it is success. I mean, people lose, people lose weight sustainably. People lose hundreds of pounds sustainably. You, you, that's, that's impossible in the old paradigm world. That's considered impossible in the old paradigm world. It's considered impossible to put your diabetes in remission in the old paradigm world. In the new world, that's possible. So, but there is this battle going on, and it's, it's uh, you know, I, I, I can't even, and again, like I am the last person to, I, I would have thought I would be crazy to be saying this, and it and and it. I'm the last person to want to engage. It's not a conspiracy. It's a. There's no conspiracy. There are a lot of vested interests in this old paradigm, and then there's a new one coming up, and there and that is just the way things, you know, shifts have to take place. So. It- is there any parallel with, you would say, I mean, it, it's the drug industry, too, from the statins and stuff like that. And it, it, to me, it seems comprehensively linked all the way across yeah. into mental illness drugs and stuff, too, where there's so much force behind it. And the solution is so easy. It's like you buy this pill, you take a statin, you take an SSRI, it, whatever it is, right. is so much force there. And it's not a conspiracy, but it's a ton of force a ton or of- something. I don't know. 
well, it's a ton a of, of interest, right? So you know the the pharmaceutical. Unfortunately, it is also a reality that the pharmaceutical industry, uh, when people get healthy, lose weight, go off all their medications, that is a big zero sign for right. the pharmaceutical industry. Whereas uh, the average American is currently on four to five medications a day, uh, taking insulin, and that's really expensive. Right. What are those companies going to do? Um, in, in if if people really start getting healthy, uh, you know the fastest growing industry in America, or one of the fastest, is is disease. Um, you know, ill health. So it's um, so that's one of the forces working against it. I think there's a lot of um, a lot of money behind um, you know the animal rights industry, which I have you know complete sympathy for that cause, but they really just don't want people eating these nutritionally dense foods that they've ate, eaten for millennia because they don't, they just feel like that's, um, that's, that's wrong. Um, so, I mean, there's a number of interest, the food companies are different sides of this issue. Um, there's a lot of money there. There's a lot of money in, I mean, we're always told that it's the meat industry that is sort of steering all of policy. If anybody reads the media, that's what you've come to believe. But, um, but what I discovered in my research is that, you know, what about all the, like the vegetable oil companies? Mm-hmm. When we got rid of butter, and ate margarine instead, and we were told, oh, instead of cooking, you know, before 1900, all we cooked with was butter and lard, really, that in the Western populations, that was really the main fats that we cooked with. And then vegetable oils are invented, first as a kind of lubricant for machinery for the Industrial Revolution, and then they sort of decided, well, well how about if we sell this as a foodstuff? Um, so, <laughs> so uh, you know, we eat 121,000 times more vegetable oils in our diet today than we did. It was zero in 1900. It's 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 the most rapid rise in our consumption of any single foodstuff. Um, wow. Is vegetable oils? Who are the companies that make vegetables? Unilever, Monsanto, ADM, these yeah. biggest companies in the world. Yeah, name the big meat companies, everybody. <laughs> Go ahead. Name the big meat. Who's the biggest meat company? Everybody knows so much. You know. Think about it. Well, there are big meat companies. You know, they there are, and and I'm not saying that they have no power, but you know, if you look at sort of just the debate out there, if they have a lot of power, they they've kind of lost. I mean, yeah. I don't see any positive PR about red meat out no. there. Um, yeah, you're so right. They have if they're they're may they may be big and powerful, but they haven't done they they haven't done a great job with that power. I guess. It's, what I would know. It's been really bad on that front too, just because like those, the companies have done a terrible job of exploiting animals and animal cruelty. And so you not, not even, not even in the psyche, you can move out of the, in in our culture, it's not even just health. It's well, I'm hurting animals if I do this and all of that stuff, you know, like our whole, we've been on every front. It seems like there's an attack on meat and it's bad. Yeah, I think that, um, and all you know, and that many of those arguments I'm sympathetic to. Of course, yeah. nobody wants animals abused. Nobody wants global warming. Um, nobody wants any of those things. But I just, you know, I, 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 I think we lose sight of the question that, well, is you know, is red meat good for health? Like, if you're trying, if you're somebody who's sick and you're trying to decide, you're trying to provide for your kids, make them healthy. The question is, does meat cause disease? And there's no rigorous evidence. I mean, there's, there's no clinical trials that show that red meat causes any kind of disease. So no. And you have to go back to this reality that it's like, 
it's incredibly nutrient dense and it provides the nutrient many nutrients that are hard to find in other foods. Um, and if you take that out of your child's diet or out of your diet, you're going to have trouble meeting your nutrient needs. Um, it's super, especially important for kids. I think, you know, the, the, if you don't get like B12 in your diet, I was a vegetarian. I was vegetarian uh, for my first pregnancy, and and then we fed my son a vegetarian diet. Um, and uh, you know, it's it's hasn't he he's a far less healthy child than the the one that I had when I was eating meat. But I I mean that's just an n equals one story. But you know, the symptoms of B twelve deficiency are exactly the same symptoms as as autism. Okay, that's just maybe a coincidence and a correlation, but, you know, it's known that a lack of B12 leads to all kinds of developmental, you know, delays and problems. So, um, you know, your friend who's not feeding her children red meat is, I mean, I think that they, anybody would be horrified to know this. They think they're doing their best. Right. Oh, of course. Right. They're absolutely best to take care of their children. But if you're not giving them the nutrients they need to develop properly, it's, I mean, it's, um, it's, it's, it can be devastating for children. That's what's so crazy about it. I know these people care more about their children than I do about mine. <laughs> they clearly do. They work way hard. I mean, they, they demonstrate that. They just have some right. bad information. I, I think uh, I kind of had this hypothesis. Like, It seems like, too, that once that pseudoscience was there, then the government and the food industry went, oh, wait a minute, we can make really cheap food and make way more money. We're going to give you French fries. And, you know, like I, my, I had this theory is like the combo theory is like once they started doing combos, it really started devastating us really badly because you in your brain, like, you know, early man, what's the most thing I can get? You're thinking the most food I can get for the cheapest price. And you're getting like no nutrients, yep. and even the little tiny piece of meat that you have is the cheapest, worst antibiotic-filled piece of meat that you could get, and you're getting it for four ninety-nine. What a deal! You know what I mean? And so, and you so you think you're doing the right thing, and you've been tricked, and so, and then you have how many combos a day, or you, you know, and your sides and all of this stuff. And now it's really funny when I'm looking at it. Like uh, a few weeks ago, I just looked at uh, uh, a picture. Of a, a fast food combo, and I was like, "Man, there's almost nothing there of, of real value." Like, w- wait a minute, this the they they this is not there. It's a bunch of weird bread and French fries and oils and all this stuff that uh, whoa, this is this isn't a deal at all. Yeah, you know, you look at the central aisles of the supermarket. I mean, there's basically almost everything in those packaged foods is made out of three ingredients: vegetable oils, salt, and grains. And maybe like some soy and some sugar. That's pretty, you know, most cereals and I mean, everything yeah. is made from those ingredients and they're super cheap. And one of the, you know, the ironies is that we've been told like we basically have embraced. This is, um, you know, something else I discovered in my research when I was looking particularly at the Mediterranean diet, um, which was never a, a, a meat poor diet. I mean, it was the peasants who ended up eating the peasants who couldn't afford anything else who ended up you know, eating a diet mainly of grains and, um, and vegetables. Um, and, and they crave what they wanted most was more meat in their diet. But we've been convinced to all eat, even the wealthiest among us, we've convinced ourselves to all eat like peasants. And yeah. we've been told, um, you know, we've somehow been hoodwinked into thinking that that's, I mean, you know, the wealthy, the humans would not have evolved um, 
you know, and, and people would not have, I mean, the wealthy people, they, 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 they ate that diet. And if you go back and look at some of the, the histories and early, you know, tribal populations, they ate that diet because it produced healthy children and healthy children were a sign where your pride and joy, a sign of your wealth mm-hmm. that you could get the special spring egg for the, you know, with the, uh, you know, with the, with the nutrients in it that is needed for a healthy pregnancy, that your your partner could go out and hunt meat for you, that you could get the nutrients to provide for a healthy child. So I'm sorry, I just have to interrupt the, myself to say, going back to your friend who makes the 12 egg um, stir fries, I just wanted to let your listeners know, and you know that the reason people have been avoiding egg yolks and also shellfish is for the cholesterol. So cholesterol, remember, it was fat and cholesterol. Uh-huh. Well, uh-huh. all of our authorities now finally, you know, many, many decades later, but the American Heart Association and the U.S. government have basically have said in written statements, we no longer advise people to put limits on their cholesterol. Period. Not it at turns all. out the cholesterol that you eat does not become the cholesterol in your blood. Your blood your cholesterol is needed for every cell in your body, including in your brain. You use it to make hormones. It's an essential nutrient for your body. If you, uh, your body, if it eats a lot of cholesterol, it just, it makes less of it itself. But your body has the capacity to make its own cholesterol if it needs to. But there's, so your body keeps your cholesterol at homeostasis. And how much cholesterol you eat has almost no bearing, except for some outlier people with a genetic condition, almost no bearing on your your blood cholesterol. And so that's now the official statement of the American Heart Association by our top authorities, but they just, they basically made the change and then didn't tell anybody (laughs) that they made this change. Right, that's the weird thing is the information gap because there are plenty of... Yeah, is it? But what, what explains that gap? Is it the media doesn't like to cover it? Uh, well, I because think I, the studies you, are there. You can only speculate, but I think you know, ad- admitting that you've been giving the wrong advice and possibly harming people for decades is not a great position for uh, uh, an authority um, who wants to announce that you've been wrong. Mm-hmm. So um, I think they just sort of tiptoed away from that advice. They didn't explain that. They didn't explain really. They didn't. They didn't give any scientific explanation. Literally, there's just two words in the American Heart Association paper from 2013. Remember, they started this policy in 1961. 2013, they come out with a paper, and it's just buried in there. It's just that just says, "Should we cap cholesterol?" Um, and it says insufficient evidence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's it. Wow. Yeah, it's a big stack of a whole bunch of factors that all just line up together, you know, I guess is the way it feels to me. Just, uh, I don't know. But is there something more to do? I mean, it seems like the effects of it are so much. If we could get ch- children developing more healthily and save money on health care on the back end on diabetes, it just seems like a, I mean, how is it not an emergency or something? Yeah, you're right. I mean, there are 7,000 people who die every day from uh from one of these diet-related diseases. And I was thinking about, I was trying to quantify this. I think it's like 7,000 is how many jumbo jets crashing every day. But just imagine, you know, it's like, let's say 15 jumbo jets crashing every day and killing everybody on board. You know, you would just you would just immediately ground the fleet and say, right. of course. we have to stop this. Something's gone wrong. 
something is not going well here and, and we need to like re-engineer this completely. But when it, it comes, we've just like learned to live with so much disease. We don't even, most of us don't even remember a time when we were not afflicted by so much disease. Um, and so it seems normal to us. It seems normal yeah. to us. That everybody would have cancer. That was not true in our parents, uh, you know, when our parents were young or even those of us who grew up, um, and now I'm going to date myself, but you know, in the 1970s, if you go back and look at like the, a picture of the line of, of people waiting for a Star Wars movie. Like, there's not a single fat person. Skinny people, yeah. Skinny people. They're all thin. They look impossibly thin. <laughs> right. Like, how'd you really get to be so thin? But I think that, you know, so I think that um, what's happening is, uh, you know, it's a, a grassroots revolution, but there is still this really, this top-down control that comes from the dietary guidelines, which is why... I founded a not-for-profit group that works in Washington, D.C. It's called the Nutrition Coalition. Um, and so one thing you can do is, um, I mean, aside from educating your friends and neighbors to the extent possible that you want to have conversations about diet, um, but you, know, you can go to nutritioncoalition.us. Um, Nutrition Coalition is one word. But, and you know, sign up for our newsletter, stay involved, maybe give a donation. I mean, we are trying to get this really top-down policy to um, to roll back some of its unfounded advice, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, and also to do what the American Diabetes Association did and say, like, you know, actually, you know, there, there are other diets out there. We need a range of diets. We need diets for people. We need to offer diets for people who are not metabolically healthy because, you know, guess what? Most of us are not metabolically healthy now. Mm, that's... That's so it's a lot for my group, but I think, you know, we're the only group anywhere in the world trying to affect this change. And uh, it's I think you're right. Important. People aren't taking it that seriously. It's really hard because it's so ingrained, even in my brain, it's hard. And it, like, it, you're right. Sugar is, it is <laughs> sugar and carbs are like an, it, it, it's like an addiction. The way people even treat you, like my dad, if I tell him I'm eating lower carb, I'm not, he goes, eh. Just eat a couple of fries. Come on, you know, just like a drug dealer in the alleyway back in the you know eighty day. Just yeah. a couple of fries, it'll be fine. You know, all you need is a couple. And I'm like, no, no, I don't want that. It, it feels really feels like a drug deal that I'm trying to run from or something. Well, you know, it's yeah. interesting. Also, I mean, you all are what I would call mavericks. You, you're a community of people who have challenged authorities, and you are willing to be your own independent thinkers. Um, and there, and I think you know from that experience, there are people like you and there are people who will never be like you. Um, there are people who want to live comfortably with their authorities and they don't want to be in a world without the boundaries that they know. I mean, and that's the same in nutrition. I mean, I can tell you that, you know, my mom is one of these people and I go to her and I say, you know, I've, I've studied nutrition for 15 years and I don't think you should have, you know, low fat yogurt for breakfast. And she looks at me, she's like, right. well, that's nice, honey. I'm going to go ask my doctor. <laughs> yeah, that's really sad. That's really oh, sad. I mean, it's yeah. funny like that, but. Yeah, but she's yeah. like, doctor is always right, honey. And so yeah. Yeah, I understand yeah. that. Like, and that's exactly why I want to change it from the top down. So when people go to their doctor, that's... there are people who want to trust their doctor and they should be able to trust their doctor. I'll give them that credit. They should listen to, in general. You should listen to your doctor yeah. over me, right? I mean, of course, in a general way, that's right. <laughs> then your obnoxious neighbor 
If they're lucky, they get half a day of nutrition training because doctors are taught basically to dispense pills. That's what they learn. That's how they learn their practices. Um, they get half a day of nutrition practice uh, of, of nutrition teaching in the course of their medical education, and the, the, the and then they're taught the dietary guidelines. And I'll, if there's time, I'll just tell you a funny story, which is there was a friend of mine, a friend of mine um, who was in medical school getting this like half a day of nutrition that they get. And the doctor was teaching them about the guidelines. And this guy who is on a low carb diet goes up to the teacher after class and said, um, you know, have you, do you know about this new research on, you know, on diets that are a little bit lower in carbohydrates and not being healthy. And the professor says, well, I'm ketogenic myself. (laughs) I'm on a ketogenic diet, which is very low carbohydrate. And he says, but I'm not allowed to teach that to you. I'm not allowed. No way. Not in the curriculum, I guess. So a lot has to change. Yeah, it really does. That's why I think it's, it's, I mean, when you wrote this book, even it's just, it's so awesome because people don't want to hear this stuff and they, and they do, you're right. It's just easier to trust your doctor to give you that pill. And we're learning so much more about, uh, fat and the nutrients that they're even like, I mean, I've been really blown away recently by the studies of gut health and the link with depression and anxiety and all of those things. I mean, they, our gut and our brains are obviously really connected and we don't want to see it that way. We don't want to think that the, the combo meal we're eating could affect us mentally either. And, and, and I think there's more and more studies are showing there's a huge linkage with those things. Yep. There, there absolutely is. I mean, if you're a brain on uh, up and you know up and down on the sugar, going up and down with that sugar all day long, is yeah. a different brain than a brain no that's doubt. had been fed fat and protein without any of those jags. Uh, it really is different, and you're absolutely right that I mean, it's it's the the gut play. The gut is sort of the source of all of your immune system. So. And what creates sort of what they, I hate this term, but what, you know, it creates leaky gut, which means that, you know, you aren't really absorbing the nutrients coming through properly and your gut is not functioning. Um, it really looks like refined carbohydrates and sugars is, is, is like top of the list of the things that really destroy your, your, your gut and its ability to have a diverse bacterial environment, which is what you need. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, and it really, and it affects mental health. I mean, there's um, somebody who just surfaced on my social media, and so I can't really, this is just, this is anecdote, not science that I'm conveying, but he, uh, he's been telling his story. He was um, on schizophrenia medication for his entire life, including being in and out of institutions, and he went off carbohydrates um, to some extent and is now off all of his medications for the first time in his whole life, and he's in his 50s. Wow. That's crazy. And you're yeah. right about you know the way some people are, and I do think it's funny, but it's also sad that you're going to run into a certain amount of people, whether it's this issue, a religious issue, a cultural issue, or a personal mental issue. They just, you can tell when you run into somebody that they will might change, but not because, not on their own. It will have to come top down. I mean, people can't look at things sometimes directly. 
you know, and some of us are able to update ourselves and take in new information and adjust, and some people are less likely to do that. So knowing that the difference seems to be a big deal the older I get of who not to press it with. And, you know, but that's why I'm interested in the larger scale changes that have to happen, I guess, with institutions and all that. And I hate that. I hate that. I resist it so much, but I really appreciate that you will go to Washington and do that kind of thing because I'm just going to continue to just irritate people one-on-one. That's all I can do. <laughs> Nina, we certainly appreciate you being on here today. This is so informative. I, that's just, I was just so excited to have you on just because I wanted to learn more about how we got here. Uh, where can folks find you and uh, find your book at? The Big Fat Surprise. Yes. Well, first of all, thank you very much for having me on your show. It's really fun to talk to you. Um, my book is available on Amazon and Barnes Noble. Um, it's, um, it's been out for a while. It's going to be reissued um, uh coming up soon, but, um, so it's available there. I have a, my own personal website, ninateichels.com, which you'll never be able to spell. So just go to nutritioncoalition.us and, um, you can find me there and learn how to spell my name because I'm the executive <laughs> director of that group. Um, it's also a group that is, uh, it's, you know, maybe of interest to people when they want to sort of figure out, um, well, why aren't the dietary guidelines perfect? Or if they really want to research, we have a lot of information there for them. So, and I'm on Twitter. I guess I'm most active on Twitter at Big Fat Surprise. Awesome. Great. All right, and we'll link to we your site you so on, on here as well. So, yeah, Nina, thank you so much for joining us. We really do appreciate it. Okay, thank you so much. Take care, everyone. You too. Okay. Toby, we can wrap this episode up here quick here. My family's back from the pool, so they're going to start to get restless here. Oh. I sure did enjoy that interview. I thought Nina was terrific. So yeah, thank I, you for finding her. Yeah, she's great. I knew she would be great, and her book's awesome. And just, I just, I really wanted to figure out, like, or just hear more about uh, her book, but also, like, in, isn't it crazy? It's like a marketing scam. We're all told to eat what, what to eat, and it's not even true. Like, yeah. can you believe, Again, like, I avoid it, saying it's a scam because I don't think it's any one person, but right. it's all these. And I like to avoid the notion that it's a conspiracy mastermind or a secret truth. It's just a total amount of humanity biased in a right. direction. That well, lands it's just it like lands. we were saying. I mean, it's the same thing is when once everybody just buys into something, you might want to question it if it feels a little off. If everybody, well, had, no, you might it, want to question it if you're not allowed to question it. Right, That's the main not, but, signal. Yeah, but if everybody's <laughs> sick from the thing that they say is good, or the and institution is sick, <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe you want to just uh, just think it through a little bit before you blindly give your money to it and do and serve it and all of that stuff. Maybe that's what you want to do. Yeah, it's like a doubling down that you. It's almost like a pray the gay away double down. Like, well, you got to try. You got even less I know. meat then. I know. know, I mean, it's just, oh God, it's awful. Anyway, uh, real quickly, we want to thank everybody that's in the BC club. Um, the BC club is a awesome group of folks that support this podcast financially. And, uh, when you join the BC club, you get a lot of stuff like an episode a day. Basically, uh, we do episodes Monday through Friday and, uh, for the episodes only the BC club gets, there's a bunch of other stuff too. But the good thing that about it is it's a community that supports, uh, episodes like this, uh, we, you know, we really are trying to reach more levels of truth and clarity and what is going on in the world. And so the BC club helps us do that a lot. And if you're not in the BC club and you're listening, and you like episodes like this, you get even more. So join the BC club. And I'm going to give you a couple club names of people who are already helping us. Unbelievable. Andrew Stoll, Kevin McDonald, Jonathan Coker, Carolyn Addy, Jake Vinston, Mark Melanichuk, 
Esteban Maro, Maraju. Go for it. You got uh, it. Sorry, Esteban. Michael Stewart, Dan Nolt, and Michael Toth. All of those people used to be vegans, and now they just m- eat meat. They murder animals constantly for health, and they're the healthiest they've ever been. All right. We're getting out of here because Matt's kids are around, and he's got to get back to his executive suite at the hotel, apparently. Mm-hmm. So you enjoy yourself, Matt. Going I'm to just, the arcade. Yeah. Going to the casino, oh, you're going to go down to the arcade, maybe have a free drink. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see y'all later. <laughs>